Welcome to the one within all. This is Interverse Podcast. I'm your host, Chance, and I hope you guys are ready to get harmonized today. We've probably all heard of the philosophical music of the spheres, and maybe some of us have even had mystical, psychedelic, or transcendental spiritual experiences where we were able to trans transfer our consciousness to some sort of primary original vibration that the entire rest of the cosmos is emergent from. Maybe some of us haven't had that experience, or maybe some of us have and forgot that we ever did. In fact, it's my belief that we never actually leave that state. We just sort of cloud our own perception of it through all the multiplicity available to us to pay attention to in this realm. But today, we're going to be digging deep into the occultism of music, the astrology of tones and of uh, notes and all the different ways that music has evolved over the many, many years that human beings have been banging things together and making different sounds and plucking strings and playing chords. There's so much to get into today. And it's always an extra, extra huge honor and pleasure for me when as the host, I'm able to bring forward a guest who's done a lot of preparation, a lot of research, and who's an expert teacher into whatever their topic is. And today we've got just that, the return of George Mesa to the podcast. George is the host of the brand new Third Eye Edify podcast which even though he's just getting it off the ground, the production quality is head and shoulders above many other shows out there. George is a great teacher, has been instructing in music. He's a, and for many years, he's a bass player. He's got theory. He knows it all, <laughs> in my opinion. And I think that a lot of the content we're going to be covering today is very original to George and his own ideas and thinking about how to syncretize the music and the sky clock. So there's a lot on the table here. He's prepared a lot for us to talk about. I'm really, really excited about it. Please make sure you go check out Third Eye Edify. You might in particular like episode 5, 440 Hertz, H-U-R-T-S, in which he gives some preliminary information that would probably supplement, supplement this conversation quite well. Last time we had George on was, a, I don't know, a year or two ago. It seems hard to remember. And we talked about a topic very near and dear to both our hearts, which is video games. And, uh, you know, some of the pros and cons, probably more on the con side, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> the occult of video games. And I, I first heard George on Crow 777 topic, talking about the same topic, uh, gaming. So we've got a lot in common. We've got a lot to cover. And I'm really excited to get into it. 
Super thrilled to have George here. We've got a mess of content for you guys to <laughs> consume right now. Welcome back to Interverse, George. Thank you so much for being here, dude. Thank you, Chance. What an introduction, man. I'm honored, really. It's it's something that feels very special to now having been announced as, you know, returning to a, a show like yours. It's really something special for me because your show amongst most um, that I watch is uh, head and shoulders, as you said earlier, above, in my opinion, as far as how inspiring it is and how much you're doing. And, um, you know, the amount of output already is just unreal, dude. It's it's awesome. It's really great to be here. And I'm I'm excited for one of the most important things you said is that I haven't talked about this with really with anyone except my wife. And uh, there's a few things in here that I haven't seen. And I'm wondering, you know, with your expertise, we're going to be able to really dig into some of these concepts. And it's uh, it's extra exciting for me. I appreciate everything. Thank you for that. That cool intro, man. Hey, yeah, it's easy to be inspired whenever I've got such a shiny guest here. And man, <laughs> it's going to be a lot like when I talked to Balderson about alchemy a few weeks ago. I expect to learn a lot because my knowledge of music on the technical side is pretty weak. Like I can play some scales. I know how to play guitar and bass and I can figure things out by ear. But in terms of like knowing the math magic of it and all that right. and the occult correspondences that might be in play... Lot to learn here. I'm really excited about all that. But before we dive in, why don't you tell people more about your show, Third Eye Edify? Like, you know, the intention behind it, the direction you want to take it, something maybe you're excited about that people would want to check out to go subscribe to your channel, which I encourage you guys to do because George is an up and comer that is going to be helping us learn so many important things. Like, definitely a podcaster in the spirit of what we do here on Interverse. And I'm excited to see him launching his thing. And yeah, man, tell us more about that. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Yes, I'm definitely primarily focused on YouTube for now. I started a Patreon. I'm, I'm going to be on BitChute and Odyssey really soon. And um, as soon as I compress some files, I'm, I'm about to be 10 episodes in, which is going to be a big number for me. Pretty excited about it. And really the, the overall idea of the show, um, especially considering what I see a lot of out there, um, not including yours and not including several others, is that I really want people to, as a result of seeing an episode, any of the episodes, is to think for themselves and to take it beyond that and to go do some more research, come back to me, put some you know comments in the YouTube page, wherever. Well, yeah, I'll get you on the show even if you have a, a conflicting view or some new information. I, I really want to get everyone to realize that they know more than they already think they do. And that when you're on that hamster wheel of life, with so many of these t topics, the kinds of topics you discuss all the time, people like Crow um, and, and myself included, they get missed or they're hidden in plain sight. And, you know, even just seeing a news, um, you know, program or reading a newspaper or turning on YouTube for a minute or going to social media, there, there's all these things hidden in plain sight. Even if just the way that something is worded, spellcast, broadcast, I, I do my best to make sure that etymology is a big part of it, too, because words like, let's just say conspiracy theory, obviously, I have a whole episode on that where it was it didn't mean anything like it does now. And uh, the stigmas behind certain words are, you know, it's it's produced, it's it, it's fabricated, as oh, far yeah. as I can, as far as I can tell, anyway. <laughs> and um, I'm doing my best to learn as I'm doing this, and that helps me stay inspired to find new topics all the time because the the information will never go away. I mean, if you're running low on ideas for a show, you can just open National Geographic and be like, oh man, what are they, what are they trying to pull here? And uh, you got a whole episode right there. You know, there's just so much out there. And now with this. I, I thought I was going to have a tough time coming full circle being a musician because it really is what I am. 
I've been a teacher for almost 25 years, maybe actually 25 years now. And I've, I've been teaching what I learned and that is Western music theory. And there's a lot of restrictions that come with that, which is fine. There's plenty of great music that comes out of it. Of course there is. No one's saying that there isn't, but I'm starting to see that rather than music having evolved. And I use that word lightly, of course, rather than seeing music have having evolved, I'm seeing that it's potentially been devolved on purpose. Um, of course, that 432, 440 thing is, is obviously one of those things that a lot of people do know about, as a matter of fact. And uh, when you see it visually, you can see the difference between those frequencies. But what are frequencies? What is a pitch? And how do, do we, just what you said before with the, let's say the fundamental tone of you or the realm we exist in or anything. Um, there's so much more of an interesting correlation with the way ancient music is being understood. Uh, to that, as opposed to now where we have this scale that you have to use and you work it out with chords. It wasn't like that. And I think, well, we'll get to that topic very soon. So um, overall, yeah, things hidden in plain sight right under your nose. You can listen to music your whole life and not realize it. You can play music for 10 years and not realize some of these things. And um, that's, you know, just part of the deal that I definitely want to get to. And that's basically what my show is all about. These kinds of ideas. Man. Okay, cool. <laughs> People ask me all the time because I'm uh, obviously like a, a tone guy, frequency guy with right. tuning forks. And they're always like, well, so what's 440 all about? And somehow I just totally missed the explanation until I heard you say it that, yeah, put them on a, put sand on a plate or get some kind of cymatic setup where you can see the vibration of water. And you will notice that the 440 is chaotic and ugly and the 432 is geometric and harmonious. And I was like, oh, well, there's the answer. It's as simple as that. <laughs> right. right. Mathematics is everything. Very true. And if we do have as much water in our body as they say we do, then clearly that has a major factor in how any frequency can affect you. And uh, maybe this could be an hour or two thing, but th as far as, you know, 432 being this magic number, um, I clearly see the validity behind using that instead of 440. But the way it's used, it, I don't think is necessarily going to bring that kind of power to any human being or to existence in general. Because if we all knew this magic number, we'd all be saved already. You know, that, that's, it, it's clearly not the only aspect of it. And the hardest part to digest that first is that every note has no it. A fundamental pitch that you hear if I say the note C. You back say, up and say that again. There's kind of a little freeze sure. there. Oh, okay. Okay, sure. Um, the, the idea that, you know, 432 is this perfect number where we use it and, you know, humanity is saved. I, I really doubt that's going to happen. It would have happened already. You know, there's enough people that can kind of use that and to, to the power of it. But it, it's, a, it's a construct already, you know, to just to say that 432 is the letter A. That's already a construct that's limiting as far as how we can use pitch and frequency. And I, I, I've been noticing lately that and I've been thinking about it myself that. When we look at art, when we look at a color wheel, when we look at all the various colors in between colors, people understand that and they get it. They're like, yeah, there's, there's limitless colors. There's limitless notes. There's limitless pitches. And when we use a piano or a fretted instrument like a guitar or a bass guitar, we're limiting ourselves to, you know, far less than what's available. And we get something more along the lines of what a color wheel would show us, a 12-tone color wheel. And uh, there's just so much more that exists inside of that. There's so much more to find inside of just one note and um, finding that fundamental pitch and resonating with everything that's in it. 
um, is maybe a better approach to what 432 could be for us rather than tuning a guitar to 432 and then going ahead and playing rock music, which isn't going to do anything for you in the end. It, it's going to feel better. And I think, um, you know, uh, Guru, what's his name? Flat Earth Guru. He, he proved it. Obviously, his music is very impactful and it really does feel different. When it's yeah, shout out Conspiracy Music Guru for making the new intro music to the show. Yeah, oh man, that's a great track, man. He's awesome. He's he's a really great guy. You can tell he's a real dude. And um, I love what he's doing. And this is nothing against any of that. I just think there's more to it. That, that you know, simply tuning in 432 does have good results. And that proves that there's something to it. But Yeah, it's clearly better. It's clearly better. It is. It is. And, um, you know, even the entire industry of, let's say, guitar strings. They're all made to be tuned to this 440 frequency. They're made to sit at that tension properly. As soon as you detune them a little bit, and it's not far away for anyone that's not sure, 440 to 432, they're very, very similar. And to an untrained ear, maybe imperceivably different. Um, but the whole industry is based on 440, even the string industry, you know? So it's, it's taken over and it's, it's a long line of, um, of time that it took to get to this 440 thing. And um, as was most things that I study, it changed around 1850-ish, 1900. So many things changed around that time. I'm sure you know what I mean. Yeah, many different versions of the Great Reset. And here I go. I'm about to open up a can of worms and we haven't even started on the <laughs> No, no, it's, it's good. This is good. This is an important aspect of what we're discussing. It really is. It is. And will you just unlock something for me that I want to point out to you and see sure. if maybe you were already taking us in this direction, but... I've kind of been working with this idea for a while, how the astral realm, if you will, which astral means the stars right. and I, that it's a type of a construct, like it's the metaverse, <laughs> the original metaverse, because we have this language and it's all derived to the, it's all derived from, or in some way reflective of the archetypes of the 12, the 12 signs of the Zodiac, the hero's journey. It's been said before, there's only really one story in the world and it's this one story. Right. <laughs> and very much like the color wheel or like you're talking about with frets on a stringed instrument, these archetypes and these stories that we've been brought up with and programmed with and our language is not just riddled with reference to, but like the language is nonstop that like th that is what our language is. It's the, it's the Zodiac. <laughs> you get into Definitely. Dylan's spirit world book. You can prove that to yourself pretty conclusively. Our religions, our spirituality. So basically it's like, my idea has been, are we limited or are we like in the, the simulation of that astro logos? And like, are those archetypes actually influencing the stories that humanity plays out in the real reality? You know, like this bizarre overlay matrix simulation, but one that is so difficult to perceive because it's on the level of thought. And it's coloring our perceptions and it's uh, changing our assumptions and our intentions and all that. So it's kind of complex, but you know, maybe this music theory of uh, Western music and the specific notes and, and scales that we are all accustomed to is actually a part of the same construct and they work lock and key together to keep human perception in a particular mode. That's kind of a pretty far out conspiracy, but like to me, it's that makes a lot of sense. It does. Especially when you see where Western music theory comes from. Pythagoras, who is basically Mercury, <clears throat> who is right. basically Mercury or Jesus of a different time. You know, there's definitely. Yeah. Right. And, and someone else that, you know, held the torch for him, Gafurius, um, he 
you know, there's pictures of him. It's him. And then there's 12 guys at his feet. You know, it's always the same exact things happen over and over again. And the music can be a big part of it because music is. You don't see it per se. You can potentially see color, I think. When I started comparing the 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 uh, twelve tone color wheel to the the notes of the uh, you know the, the music wheel, I noticed that, for example, I always thought that the note D, the one that we use in four forty that I grew up learning, I always thought it was blue, and and there it was. You know, is that a is that a random coincidence? It may be, but I really don't think so. You know, I perceive this note clearly as blue, and and here it is. It just popped up in my research just like that, and uh, those things are, are very hard to deny. You know, and, and for them to be able to manipulate what you hear on a regular basis and how it's played. And we'll discuss this is definitely for hour two, how not only rock, but everything that we've, you know, again, evolved into from classical, let's say. It's inverted. It's completely inverted in every single way, not just with the notes, not just with the ordering of notes in a chord, but the rhythm itself as well. The nature of the rhythm of meter. So that's going to be our two. That inversion talk is certainly it's alarming, honestly, because it was there all along, you know, and now that I'm really starting to think about it, it's, start, it's starting to the, the seams are opening up and um, for them to manipulate music is genius because it can keep us not only on, let's say, the hamster wheel, but it can keep us in, you know, much lower vibrational level than we are capable of. Yeah, I mean, it's the ultimate programming. How many people think love is based on what it is they heard in some dumb top 40 song right <laughs> <laughs> that's the other aspect of it too yeah when they throw language in all of a sudden it's that's a whole nother thing that's a very good point and hopefully we can make the correlation to the way that um you know the way that music as far as our research has shown us and as far as the music that's been passed down not by paper and, and ink but you know by word of mouth through tribes through cultures through generations um that style of music let's just call it oriental for the sake of argument um because that's often how it's labeled that's the kind of music that's used to read, technically read things like the Torah, the Quran, the Bible. You're supposed to take every syllable and treat them as a musical phrase, completely memorized. And that is the total opposite of what we do now, you know. Okay, so that makes a lot of sense because what I understand about the origins of language, and I want to maybe expand on this quite a bit, is yeah. that... And can you turn down your headphones a little bit? They're kind of picking up in the mic a little bit. <laughs> no problem, man. No problem at all. Yeah. So what I understand about the origins of language was that it was originally everything was numerical and then it got more complex from there. But the letters, of course, we can see are numerical. And why that would be is because if you are a some kind of like adventuring sailors, world explorers, setting up civilizations or conquering places, you would be also engaged in trade. And as a language of commerce, there's your Mercury, right? You would have this language system where it wouldn't matter the dialect that other people spoke or the variations of language that you gave to your conquered peoples or what have you. If you kept the numerical values similar in each of them, and that system was the same. And when we look at Hebrew, Greek, uh, Irish, yeah. Phoenician, so many, so many of these languages actually used originally the same 16 letters in the same 16 order. That's right. That's <laughs> so right. like, even if the glyphs look different, numerical values, the same, they correlate to the same kind of tree. They make That's a similar right. phonetic sound. There's like all this evidence, huge evidence that there was a origin language that was spread around. And so if you had the numerical value code, then those words become like a form of sheet music. Because even if you didn't understand the spoken language, you would be able to interpret 
it as you can from any culture to culture sheet music as a universal type of language if you just know the system. So right. there's that. And then, yeah. <laughs> so on the beginning of your uh, outline here for hour one, which we'd better get into. Sure. <laughs> you have this first, first big question. What came first, percussion or melody? And, um, <laughs> yeah, we definitely need to get into that. Like it very much ties into the research I've been doing just this last couple of weeks, which is looking at like, what was the first form of language? Was it hieroglyphics? Was it right? angled straight line like stick letters i think it's that personally or was it curvy type of letters like where did it actually begin and that informs us quite well in terms of like what the original communication style must have looked like if we're able to determine those roots so you know what came first percussion or melody what do you think (laughs) take us in george well you know I, I put in parentheses or both, not as a way to make a complete conundrum out of this t- uh, topic, but I would, I would have a hard time imagining that we didn't use our voices as much as possible early on, right? This doesn't mean that we sang songs, but we may have done vocal percussion before anything else. That's entirely possible. So it may actually be percussion because, you know, as far as like ooga booga, no language, percussion is the winner. Of course it is. Beatboxing um, in the Garden of Eden. <laughs> Incredible, dude. I'm definitely going to write that down. Um, and But melody is obviously a more complex and more subtle and more, you know, it takes much more care to do it. Um, a baby is probably going to bang away before they start singing, for example, right? So the idea of percussion, not because you have a drum with a tightened skin over it, that's a whole other world. Uh, grabbing a bunch of sticks and hitting an empty log, that that may have taken more time. but just traversing some landscape and kicking a rock down a hill may have produced a a rhythm that you found familiar and you could have reproduced it. It's the idea of what was reproduced first. And our heartbeat Um, is always there. That's a very good point. And it's often, it doesn't stick to one specific time, but it stays in a general BPM. It stays in a certain area for the most part. And um, I actually use that in my teaching. I try to get kids to breathe in time so that way they can control their pacing and sort of uh, attach themselves to the, the flow of the music, you know? But um, I have a feeling that people have imitated percussion much sooner than they tried to imitate a bird calling or something, because those are hard to imitate to begin with. Um, we don't use the same vocal cords, you know, to, to make that. So I think percussion may be the winner, but I don't know. And and nobody does if they say they do. They're they're totally lying, you know. But um, as far as that symbol versus, you know, uh, chicken scratch for our initial language writing. You would think that maybe symbols came first, drawing a, you know, a tree or some kind of animal, but you're right. I think the um, right angles and stuff are so much easier to convey and do that. That's a good chance that came first. Yeah, definitely. I want to do some word magic on a couple of the concepts here too. We have melody. Well, Mel, the LR is switchable between languages. So whenever you see Mel, you could also infer myrrh. So back to the Mercury. Right. There it is. Always. <laughs> you know, what is the melody doing? It's carrying the tune. <laughs> right. Yeah. And carry, you carry things with your hand. Well, let me go back to right. melody first of all. Okay. Sure, sure. So myrrh, of course, and then you have ode or odd, and that is of the root from God and right. also for Odin and many other important words. So you have two of the names of the savior deity or the Mercury deity in melody. Interesting. Right. And then chord, it's got this C-H-O-R, which is very, very similar to the Greek word cher, 
which is spelled with a he, which is the right. X looking glyph. And that's the fit, you know, that word is also in the root of the Charon fairy man. Right. Who is again, the Mercury character. <laughs> like river sticks, you mean? Yeah. The psychopomp yeah. carrying you across. And it's the, like I said, it's the Greek word for hand, but it's also the root of words like hinge as in like a door right. or, or a heart. You know, it's like your heart is the hinge or gate or door to the divine spark. Maybe, I don't know. Wow. You know, that car or core, you know, it's your core, <laughs> the heart right. is your core and uh carpenter, you know, we have Christ, the carpenter. There's a lot in there. That's just like wow. the tip of the iceberg with those phonetics of melody and chord. And it's very interesting because those two aspects of Western music theory are the ones that create this foundation of structure that you're saying there's actually a lot more. There's like an infinite palette of colors outside of that particular structure. And we've been kind of like, you know, carried into this structure as a mindset that has a lot of possibilities, but it's also limiting. Right. And and at the base level of that, classical music can prove that there's relatively limitless exploration available. But as far as and something we'll discuss pretty soon, I think, is that there there is this holy trinity of chords that exist in the Western musical scale and three in what's a progression and it has a cadence. In other words, we get to the point that we are we determine the ending point and that gives us the cadence so we can start over again at, you know, chord number one. And um, again, I think we can maybe get more detail on this very soon, but yes, it's limiting, but it it can lead to so much. And this is where the argument can be difficult to make with someone who hasn't thought this way yet or isn't willing to, let's say, where it's like, well, there's so much, so much comes from it. How can you say it's a devolution? But we're always tuned to the same notes to begin with. We're always assuming that we're going to that same pitch. And and that's already a bad starting point, in my opinion. Um, The idea that you're singing your own, let's just say you're singing your own melody, singing your own tune, something you sing to a kid as a baby, maybe, or something that was passed down generation to generation. The chances of you starting on that same exact note every time when you sing are very, very, very small. And this is something that is very, actually leads to the very next thing in the, and I didn't mean it this way. I wrote like a general draft, you know, the, the thing that I wrote there was tonal centers. This has been the basis of most music throughout all the ages, as far as I can tell. Um, and it still is. It still exists in Western theory. The difference is in Western theory, it's A440 now. And that's it. No questions asked. You start from A440. And whatever note you need to start from, that's what gives you your tonal center and all of the restrictions that come with a musical scale. And anyone listening that isn't totally familiar with these terms, I, I think we're going to do a good job of kind of cleaning it up as we go along here. But when you start singing something, you start, let's say you start with a pitch. That ends up being your tonal center. You can almost picture yourself as the same thing here. What you do, the way you dance around that tonal center with your melody, the way that you inflect the notes, the way you sing the words, if there's words, that's how you, you know, that's, that's the song for you. And then the melody typically comes back home. You find your tonal center, you dance around it, you come back to your tonal center. The easiest way to recognize it might be something along the lines of an Indian, you know, like a raga where, there's always that one pitch, especially with a sitar or with a tabla. They always end up hitting that one main pitch and they dance around it. But that pitch remains the whole time like a bagpipe would. There's always that one note coming out of the bag of the bagpipe and they dance around it. So there's another Oriental and uh, Celtic relationship right there, by the way, which I think is very interesting to make. 
That's a brilliant, dude. Yeah, uh, you hear brilliant. that, Dylan? Yeah, there's more evidence for your for your next Spirit World book. Oh, baby, that that is amazing. You know, I actually I actually just thought of that that the bagpipe holds the pitch just like the the sitar. It has something called sympathetic strings, where the guitar you strum all the strings you hear all the strings you strummed. With the sitar, there's more strings than the ones you pluck. When you pluck a string, that string activates the sympathetic strings with something called sympathetic vibration. And that, that helps it stick to a tonal center. In other words, there's 12 musical notes. Each one of them can be their own tonal center. When you use an instrument like the sitar, you really can't venture from the tonal center that it's designated for because the sympathetic strings are going to vibrate those pitches every time you don't touch them. So you're, you're, you're stuck with that. And the tabla also, which has approximately 12 different tones to make, by the way, it's an incredible drum, a pair of drums. And, and that's the same idea. You're, you're stuck playing that one thing. This is called modal, by the way. And uh, yeah, we're, we're jumping around in a few topics here, but it's okay. We're, we're, this is all very interesting and exciting to, to talk, to discuss in this forum. When you are able to, I'm sorry, when you're not able to change keys very successfully, when you're not able to go from one tonal center to the next in the same song or with the same instrument, we typically call that modal. It sticks to its tonal center. And classical music does anything but that. It can do whatever it wants. Rock music often changes key centers, tonal centers, without even meaning to. It just happens because it does, because it was a cool thing to do. I do this here. I go up to the next fret. I do the same thing here. It just happens because it happens. It's not prepared. It's not you know justified. But um, with these modal instruments, you're, you're stuck in a tonal center. And that was, I think, now doing this research, I think it was specifically made that way. Birds probably tend to sing the same song each time, the same bird, I imagine. And it was the same way with anyone that sung their, their local songs that they sung. They, they started from a generally the same pitch, and they danced around that pitch for their melodies. Keep, keep going, buddy. Okay. <laughs> take us through, take us okay, through more okay. of these hour one notes, man. I'm just okay, like, good, yes, good. yes, yes, yes. So, I keep thinking this is going to be such a good episode. This again. is very, this is... um. I mean, I'm, I'm almost crying discussing this man because, you know, you learn something your whole life and then you find out that it's bunk, you know, <laughs> and that's it's, and I'm not saying that anything's wrong with music. I'm still teaching music to kids. It's not like I'm not teaching it and I, I love it, but the way that they want you to teach, cause I never had an actual music teacher. I just kind of had the bass. I, I, I started with guitar. I got to bass. I taught myself, started teaching, started gigging. And then I eventually went to music college because I wanted to gain the rules so I could break them in a kind of matrix kind of way, you know, and uh, in a Neo in the matrix kind of way. But now doing all this research, I'm finding that there's way more to the story. And I always thought it was easier to teach sometimes without the written uh, music. Babies learn to speak before they write. There's no question about it. And I find personally, but this this is about the the topic we're uh, about to get to, that when a student already knows something or you give them a lot at first, to you know, mess around, at least just experiment. Here's how these sound. Here's how your fingers work. Then you give them the notes on the paper. It's much easier for them to digest, I think, in the end, because they're reverse engineering. Instead of just, you know, paper in front of you, learn this, go home and do your homework. It, kids usually don't want to do that. And the hardest part is you got to get the parents to agree with that too. And the parents have to help. Otherwise, it's never going to happen in this day and age. You know what I mean? So the next thing I wrote was um, melody and rhythm with no meter. The most important part of that, this is no meter. What does meter mean? Music is metered on paper. There's measures and you can see each measure has a certain amount of beats 
and and the music stays at a very obvious pace at a certain tempo. Music was absolutely not like that at first. It was much freer. And um, as far as, and I, I have the note somewhere, it was thought to dilute it to add rhythm, even just a percussive background. So if you hear an ancient melody being, you know, recorded or, you know, re- reconstructed and there's this percussive background, it's probably not accurate. Chances are very good that people sung their melody. They used the specific rhythm for their melody because they weren't, they didn't connect like they do now where the melody and the, the melody has a specific rhythm that you play, like, you know, row your boat or something. These melodies were made to be interpreted. You recognize the melody and each singer had their own way to do the rhythm. A lot like Indian music, we have a raga and a tala. One is the melody, one is the rhythm. And it's up to the interpreter. It's the same song every time, but it has its own inflection. The human element comes in, not this robotic, you know, play everything perfectly, play to this metronome. And, and I think that this is lost nowadays for sure, especially in the Western world, because you won't hear anything about that in music college, not in Western theory, which essentially is German and Austrian music theory, really church music. I learned nothing but church music. Uh, for the most part, for the, at least the first you know few years of study, and that's uh, that's something to think about for sure. <laughs> so, what is a scale? Might be the best thing to get to next because we're discussing this freedom of melody, freedom of rhythm. Do whatever you want, essentially. Um, you know, hold the tradition and keep these things close to your heart because those melodies mean something. Much like a, a, a drum rhythm means something to a lot of cultures in Africa. Everyone I want to throw in one little interjection, though. Yeah, please, please. About meter to yes. meet to meet something is to like dole out harsh justice or punishment. <laughs> Whoa! Right, right, and and, and then another root metered, would be right? Metis, which is a a goddess of wisdom that was a progenitor to Athena, who is called Pallas, which is wisdom. So Metis, right. like Bafo Metis, oh. this word Met M E T has to do with wisdom, and so that wow. it is. Pertaining to intervals is interesting because wisdom is also something that gets correlated with gates. And wow. in a way, meter is like, these are the gates you pass through as you play through whatever the music is. So again, in the word magic, there's always a lot of context and information. And um, meter is kind of fascinating as something that is being meted out upon us, you know? Right. And what about Demeter? What does yeah. that God represent? I, I actually forgot. What does that God represent? Uh, Demeter. She's like a fertility type oh, goddess. Fertility. Okay. That's hard to say. I, I can't make that correlation, but very interesting, man, because, you know, the words have meaning. And I think as we got to in our previous interview that you had with me, um, this language was clearly developed for a very specific goal. English I'm talking about. Uh, maybe the American variant of it, sure, but English in general. It seems like it was really developed for us. So any words that are in it that get used for things like music now, where the canon of our knowledge is based on our, this language, there's always going to be something to dig into, always something to find. How many things have you already said that I've never thought of? It's amazing, dude. It's really cool. Um, and to we, me, it really yeah, does correlate to Metis in a powerful oh. way because, you know, there's a story of Demeter and Persephone, her daughter gets taken to the underworld by Hades to be rich and all that. And then, Metis has a daughter, which is Athena, sort of, but also sometimes Athena came out of Zeus's forehead. But anyway, I, I feel like it's, you know, the same trinities over and over again in mythology. But Demeter is one of the 12. 
at least right. of uh of the Greek pantheon. So back to our right. twelve. And there it is again, of course, right? And so I guess it might be a good time to mention those kinds of numbers now. I mean, I might have written numbers at the bottom here, but it makes sense to um at least go over the the numbers that are set in stone for our the music that we know, especially for people that aren't familiar and may have been lost with one or two things that were said. I apologize. We're certainly going to, again, do my best to clean any of that up. But 12, musically speaking, is what's called the chromatic scale. Chroma as in color for Greek. It's every single note we have available, 12 notes. And we use something called equal temperament. Temperament is the variation between notes from note to note. Equal temperament means all 12 notes are equally divided in the octave. Octave has has to be the most important concept that we may discuss all day. Because once you hit the octave, you've ascended. You've ascended through, let's say, the chakras or the, the musical scale. And then you finally get to the next octave. And um, so 12 is, a, is an impactful number in everything that I'm sure your audience is well aware of. And it means a lot for music, too. Um, and then the number seven is how many notes we get in a major scale. Do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti. And then we hit do again. We get to the next octave. And I think maybe I'll pick up an instrument so you can hear what does the scale sound like if you don't hit the octave? It's actually pretty jarring. It doesn't really sound very correct to say the very least. Yeah, you're um, going to pick up that bass, right? Yeah. So let's to give the, us let me, an example let me, of that. Let me, let me at least do that really quickly. So. If you play a scale and just give me a heads up on how loud or not loud this is. You picking it up? Sounds good. Perfect. Okay, great. So if we play a major scale. Nice and normal. Everything sounds great, of course. And hopefully I can prove that something's already a little off. I have frets. I've got a bass here without frets too, but that's not uh, good for our purposes right now. So here is the scale now with only the seven individual unique notes without the octave. If you were to describe the feeling, what, what would you use? What kind of words? Yeah, it's like awkward or tense. That's awkward. It's perfect. It, it's, it's incomplete at the very least. It's as if you're drawing a circle and you don't, you don't complete the circle. Right. And, um, that makes me wonder about our whole 12 sign Zodiac and the whole missing 13th sign. Like, mm, you know, is it making us all awkward and incomplete? (laughs) Yeah. If you play a chromatic scale and don't finish, it sounds very strange. It sounds like it's already strange to hear a chromatic scale, every note, but without hitting the 13th now, it sounds incomplete. We didn't ascend and it's the completion cycle is not done. Something I assume that, you know, those numbers nine and 11 are, they skip over 10 as if to skip the completion and start another cycle right away. It's, it's one of it's that, that is what that would sound like. I imagine to skip over that, you know? And um, so I guess the, the best thing now would be to discuss why, no, I need you to play the scale and ascend us because we're still sitting here. Feeling oh, no. That oh, that's better. Thank you. I, I agree completely. <laughs> <laughs> so what you experience now, what you just that what had to be satisfied is the yin yang of music. We experienced what's called 
it could be two different things. Tension. Obviously, it's tense, right? But tension is more easily developed through chords. When you play two notes, that, well, this is tense. It sounds very tense, right? And then when you resolve it, it's a little more relaxed. We kind of find that point of rest as the tonal center in music is often called the point of rest, by the way. But it's also called dissonance versus the opposite consonance. Consonance is when notes sound pleasant together. This is the standard definition. I don't prescribe to all of this at all. Um, the idea of consonance and dissonance has changed dramatically, much like the meanings of words have changed dramatically over the years. And um, when you hear dissonance, the idea is not that it sounds nasty or bad. It's just that you're hearing tension. Dissonance is tension. And tension needs release. Yin and yang. Once you and music, especially classical, the goal of classical music is to create tension, to work out that tension and to come to a final resolution. Um, there's something called the the recapitulation and the standard orchestral uh, symphonic structure of music. We get something called the exposition. It's the original thing. We get a development section where the composer shows their their stuff and then we come back around and we have the recap of the entire thing. That's Same fascinating because our very last episode that I aired was with Howdy. Right. And oh, although yeah. we had a lot of things like maybe different perspectives about the subject matter at the end right. of the plus extension for people that aren't subscribed to the full show, we had a really interesting thread about recapitulation as like, well, first you have that as a life review. So in a way <laughs> our life wow. after death is this interesting symphonic fractal where you <laughs> you know you're what, what were the steps again of this oh, um uh exposition development recapitulation so that's like what that's literally life <laughs> yeah yeah well that's the beauty of symphonic form and classical music it really and every single one of these very well trained and potentially masonic composers were well in tune with all of these natural ideas and um there's so many parallels to make that uh, <laughs> we will get there. Don't worry. This, uh, it's, in, it's intense, honestly. But they all came primarily from a religious aspect, at least for the first few hundred years of what we call the common practice era, which is the Baroque period, the classical period, and the Romantic period. Essentially takes us from 17th century to the tail end of the um, 1800s. And um, these, you know, you didn't learn how to write a symphony if you were some poor you know, living on the outskirts in a cabin person. That's just not how that happened. You know, you had to come from some substance. And this is the idea of a sacred versus secular. Most music that we know and love and have studied is from the sacred um, area of, you know, writing. A lot of these composers were called Kapellmeisters. They were the heads of churches. They wrote all the music for the churches. That's a big responsibility. You got to bust out a new tune every week and you have to follow the rules to make sure that it invokes the Holy Spirit every time. It was it was a lot of pressure, I imagine, but they had all the tools they needed, all of them. And um, I'll show you with the one of the most popular ones by far, Bach. Um, there's a lot of mystery behind him, so I'm I'm curious about all that stuff. Well, so, I mean, you got Bacchus yeah. right there. The Bacchus. Oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> Bacchus, exactly. German for stream or river, and right, you know, flow, and the flow, the right. deity have everything to do to, with each other. 
uh, in the language, water and sun and God are all very connected concepts. So yeah, Bach, Bach is a enigma for sure. And incredible composer too. Like some of my favorite. Yes. It's a very Baroquean music. They call it. If you ever heard of the term Baroque, that would be like the Bach style. Exactly. If it ain't Baroque, don't fix it. Right. And he, you know, I almost hear Ankh in his words sometimes. It's a similar kind of phrasing. I have a lot of, he, he used his name musically. We'll, we'll get to that. I think that it's coming up real soon, as a matter of fact. Um, and it's funny you said the, the water thing. I learned it in, you know, music college. They told me it was Brook. Bach meant brook. And it's pronounced with like a, you know, that's how they told us to do it anyway. I, it, Bach is supposed to mean brook. And um, that made me immediately think of a babbling brook as in Tower of Babel. So it is another very obvious correlation to be made with this guy. He, he was a very interesting person for sure. And um, the things that he, the way he was composing, the amount of music that he composed and his whole story, it, it's pretty amazing to say the very least. Um, and I think that, yeah, we kind of, we actually are somehow following this thing. I can't believe it. Um, now that I just played a scale for us, I think it might be a very good time to also get in our ears what the very co- most common and usable, what are called triads in music are. And again, for any of your listeners, I'm sure they can immediately at least give me one example of why a triad or a trio would be a very important concept spiritually and otherwise. But with music, you need three notes being played simultaneously for what can officially be called a chord. You can get a sense of a chord out of two notes, but once you add the third note, it could actually change your perception. So let me give you an idea of that. Actually, I wasn't planning on doing this, but here are two notes and, you know, no pressure, whatever, whatever you use your ear and tell me if you hear major or minor, happier said. What do you hear? I think that's major. I think so too, but it's only two notes. It is. This is technically major. Now I'm going to add a third note. Oh, yeah, it's definitely minor now. Now it's minor, right? So you need, you have to have the Holy Trinity. It has to be there, which is already an incredible concept. And it's fascinating, too, how when you add that third note, that is bringing in the sun, which is the Savior, which is the Mercury, which is the Jesus. And in alchemy, the Mercury can be the positive or negative polarity. So depending on which third note you bring in, that is going to be your major or minor major chord, or minor. but the, the third note could take it either direction. It's the mercury. That's exactly right. And this is the power of bass. Bass, when we um, talk about chords, you have to understand what you're hearing overall, low to high. The lowest heard note ends up being functionally what determines the other notes sounding like. So as a bass player, you have a lot of power. You're one note. That's why we play one note at a time. It's meant to hold the foundation down of everything. And kind of stabilize everything. You heard major, but then when I, you know, in quote, stabilized it with a, another lower note, we discovered it was actually minor all along. And these kinds of tricks are what make classical music interesting. And you can kind of play around with notes a lot. It doesn't, it's not like it doesn't happen in rock, but often it's not coming from a place of either training or even care in that regard, which is fine. Music can be whatever it wants to be. We're all musicians. We're all scientists. There's nothing wrong with any of that. Um, but right there again it's a fascinating thing right so now i'm gonna play let's get those let's get those notes out of our head we're gonna play a major triad and then a minor triad so we can hear the difference one more time 
Here's major. I'm only looking so I can make it right. I can, I can do this with my eyes closed. There's major. There's minor. Now there's two less used variants of these called diminished and augmented. Diminished is like minor, but more minor. And here's, here, here's diminished. Sorry, being clean. A different attitude than minor, right? Wouldn't you say? Yeah. Right. And then here's major again. And here's augmented. Again, very different quality. It's the difference between consonants and dissonance. It's not that one is, you know, more wrong or right. But the diminished and the augmented triads are far more dissonant and they need to do things. They're not stable. Major is very stable. Minor what, is pretty stable. What I find fascinating is that all of us have the ear for this. Like if we had the technical skill to actually just play notes and play chords on an instrument, even if we didn't know any of the theory, right? we would know what sounded right and what didn't sound right. <laughs> we know what sounds good. To me, that is fascinating. I couldn't agree more, man. And I, I do my best to show anyone that will hear me that that's exactly that exact thing. You're all musicians. And the fast, what's really fascinating is that it's often in the way of error. And what I mean is that it's much easier for a non-musician to tell you what wasn't right or not good. If, and then if something's really great, they, they can't really explain it or tell you why, but it just works and it goes over there. You know, they hear it, everything's fine. But when something's wrong, they'll be able to tell you right away. So, um, Everyone, everybody's a critic everybody I was just gonna say the same thing we're our own worst critics and, and and vice versa so i think that i got the sounds out i will we'll pick this up again in a little bit to discuss more in the in the inversion discussions we're going to be having because there's plenty to discuss as far as that let me make sure this isn't ready to fall okay um so one of the most interesting things i came across and i, I might be able to get it in your head before you know without playing anything is that melodies primarily were not thought of with this happy, sad, uh, you know, bright, sunny day, cloudy, stormy weather, minor, major thing. It was the opposite. Minor was taken as happy and major was taken as serious. Think of Hava Nagila, if anyone can picture that song in their head. It's a very minor melody. I don't know that one. Ah, I, 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 I'm not necessarily think it'd be best to play it on a bass right now, but the, um, it, it, a lot of your listeners have definitely heard Habanagila. And I think it means rejoice. Uh, I can tell you in a sec. I'm sorry. I'm Maybe it's one of those songs I've definitely heard. And you have but I just don't know definitely the heard it. Guarantee. Um, and uh, Habanagila, oh, it means come, let us rejoice. But to our Western ear, it's a very minor melody. And it finds itself in a very happy song. And um, again, major was taken as a serious thing. So this is maybe before we get to the inversion craziness of hour two, this is the first example of it. Now we're trained to hear major as good and happy and minor as sad and bad. However you want to think about it. it this, is the, this is exactly what happens when you start studying this stuff. You start finding that things were switched, flip-flopped right on their head. Um, and for what purpose? I, I can't possibly say yet, but it certainly seems nefarious most of the time. It seems like they're trying to distort reality almost or change what was obvious to all the generations that came before us. 
and this is weird because it feels so natural to make the correlations of major happy minor sad and this good bad thing you know that's the game that's been played on humanity for forever by the priest class this is the good one this is the bad one eve the female they they ruined humanity took us (laughs) you know (laughs) like right correlating darkness with evil when it's dark half the time on this place and what's what's evil about (laughs) that what's evil about that yeah right right when and there's still usually some moonlight at least to guide you at at the very least um and you know anyone that's been to a church or a synagogue if you remember if you can remember how they sing when they're reading it's usually not a very happy sounding thing as a matter of fact it may be a completely unfamiliar sound and that's what you want you want to know that throughout the cultures of the world they have different sounding types of music otherwise things would be pretty static if everything sounds like guns and roses i'm not sure if the world would be as exciting as it is you know i would agree and, with how <laughs> ready to exit the simulation at that point <laughs> just press whatever just yeah, eject eject i'm done yeah. <laughs> no thank you a- asshole rose i mean axel rose <laughs> and you know actually now that we're now that we're discussing that the idea of a rock or a rock star, which is a word that definitely come up on your show many times. Zoroaster Zoro means Aster. rock star. Exactly. And everyone wants to be that. Everyone wants to be, they, they always call them luminaries in the, in the music world. You know, everyone always wants to have these astrological um, things associated with them. They want to be this big, rich, humongous, you know, billions of fans, rock star, but then you turn into Michael Jackson and you realize that it's not good, you know, and you have a, you have suffering, nothing but suffering which you discussed a lot with Howdy. I did hear the episode and um, I thought it was very interesting how you mentioned, um, do we need suffering or on the other side of it is suffering required? Like in the, obviously the scale that we know hermetically hard to say, man, hard to say, you know, that was, that was an interesting query. So I wrote, and you know, of course um, we correlate, you know, we equate maybe all suffering as the same, but maybe there's a middle ground in the argument. Like, some of this artificially engineered suffering we don't need for sure, but then there's yeah. natural, you know, the difference between engineered evils, inversion evils, and natural evils, if right. you will. Yeah, oh, definitely. And, um, you know, natural, yeah, yeah, the, uh, the inversion of things being, you, you don't realize if you're suffering just because the music's tuned a certain way, but maybe it could be 20 times more beautiful and less structured and less, um, and, you know, structure is okay, but less structured, less um, limiting because it almost turns into like a reductionist thing. And, and reductionist, I don't think is often very good as far as most topics are concerned. You know, it's a mode of thinking and perceiving, but it's not the only mode. And that is what I think we need to embrace it. Like, okay, we have these great tools. We have Western music theory, right? You can do a lot in that structure, but there may be right. other structures and there may be complete free flowing, non-structured and you know, let's get out of the box and expand here. Yeah. Oh, come on. You know, it'd be amazing to see what, what we could come up with if those things were removed and the written music that we have, especially the Western notation, because most people don't have a notation that isn't, you know, just chicken scratch or some symbolic little things like you were discussing uh, again, opening the Torah. That's a musical book. It's meant to be read out loud in public criers, you know, and you're supposed to take those things to heart. Every, every, let's just call them characters for argument's sake is a melodic fragment, a small one, because we didn't always have these seven note scales, these eight, you know, go to the octave. They avoided the octave at all costs. As a matter of fact, you may have heard of what's called a gamut. 
and the um, music was more modal as in a modal hexachord gamut. Hexachord meaning only six notes. And the melodies did expand beyond the six notes, but they were there was these six notes, then these six notes, then these six notes. They would use several hexachords combined. This is the gamut, the hexachord gamut using everything. So blowing my were, mind right now, George, because chromatic is basically cron attic, chrono, chronos. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, you know, we have Saturn in the hex, hexagram, hexa, hexagon. To me, there's a lot here. Uh, I, I really need to stop talking because I no, want to get as much of this first <laughs> I'm, I'm into hour one as well. So like, I don't know what your time's like, but if we go a little over the hour, oh, I got time. I'm good with it. Okay. Yeah. Keep, keep us going. I'm, I'm loving this man. Oh man. Me too. <laughs> you know, it's hard to know. Writing down the flow is almost impossible for this conversation because it's still as much as I know all these things, I have a lot written in front of me that I'm not even reading because I'm trying to go from memory as much as I can. But some of this stuff is new to me, not brand new, but I'm approaching it with new eyes and new ears, uh, technically speaking. And um, it's it's not that it's like painful or or bitter or anything, but it, it's it's uh, you, you learn something your whole life and then you have to rethink it all. It's exciting. And it's also, you know, it's like putting an old childhood toy away because you know it's just done. It's got to go. And you keep it, you know, you'll keep it in the closet, but you don't have it out on your bed anymore. You know what I'm saying? And this is where I'm at with music now. Much like the last time we talked, this is where I was at with video games. You're <laughs> on a whole new frontier, though. Like, I, may be. I bet very few people listening to this conversation now or years in the future. Have ever had these thoughts about music, or or at least not all of them, and getting out of the box here. It's possible and and to go back to supporting this idea that the Western music system is part of the rest of the whole control priestcraft priestcraft sorcery <laughs> thing. Right, right. You know the uh, the astral astro logos simulation of language. Well, like the, the word music, man, music. Where does muse come from? It's basically, we're talking about the Hebrew roots of mem, shen, hey, m-s-e, or m-s-h, depending on how you transliterate the hey. Right. That's Moses. That's the, the root of muse and Moses is the same in Hebrew. So, and we've already mentioned how Greek and Hebrew are from a similar original system. So this m-s-h, m-s-e, music, (laughs) mosaic, basically you could call it. Right. It, Just the name music to me implies that we are looking at something that as with every other structure in society is designed to support the mosaic system and the mosaic history given to us by the Vatican. So definitely. Yeah, really, really. It's very true. And the rise in um, standard pitch is a big part of that. It used to be closer to, you know, 415, maybe just under 400 a long time ago. And it slowly started coming up. The reason they told us the narrative of that is that there was more brass instruments being added. There was far more string instruments at first. Then the brass instruments came in and for them to, and we're talking about small deviations in pitch. I don't even see a reason whatsoever, but they, they were rising because of brass, apparently more brass. Then you get to Wagner with these crazy operas, the kind where, you know, it's not over till the fat lady sings. Um, They had to be fat and huge. Because they needed humongous vocal cords to sing over all these ridiculously large instruments that were starting to come up. It wasn't a matter of, you know, there wasn't a microphone yet. 
So, um, interestingly enough, the restrictions, the potential devolution on purpose. Yes, I, I think you're right. It it really is call coming from. It could be coming straight from the Vatican. It really could be. They're looking at the same stars we are, and they know. They know better. And millionaires don't use astrology. Billionaires do, right? And I think that this is another aspect of when you learn anything. I had an episode called Astronomical Reads where Neil deGrasse Tyson. What was it called? You cut out for a second. Oh, oh, sorry. It's called Astronomical Remakes. And uh, I caught Neil deGrasse Tyson kind of sounding like he was making up his own jokey story about an alien spaceship. And it was ripped straight out of this Carl Sagan book I read. And he was passing it off as his own thing, much like those remakes of movies always come in. in, He's such a punk bitch. (laughs) (laughs) No other way to say it, man. I really. So, okay. What we were going to get to is we mentioned Guns N' Roses. I chose any random band, but being a rock star is not the oldest concept. And um, there was somebody called Paganini, which some of you people may know. There's Pagan right there. No questions asked there. Um, He was pretty much the first real rock star. He actually traveled Europe. And he was just him and his violin. And that could have happened to anyone. Yeah, Mozart traveled, Bach traveled. But this guy, he put on the same outfit every time. He had like a dark, you know, you're never going to know who this guy is sort of image that people were kind of crooning for. He did flashy technical things on the violin, but the music was simple. A lot like most rock. And I say most very carefully and on purpose. There's plenty of good amazing musicians out there doing rock. If you want to call it rock anymore, there's, there's too many uh, variations to even mention, but he used simple ideas musically. He played them with flash and technical prowess. And he had this dark, almost, you know, mysterious imagery that he associated with himself and started charging double for ticket prices. And, and it worked. And um, he was essentially the first real rock star. And um, I, I have a general idea, but I don't want to miss the exact years. He, he was December 27th, 1782, 991, not, not such a big deal. And then 527, 1840. Bunch of nines and ones everywhere, as always. I'm finding this left and right as I look for these things. Um, he would mimic animals with his violin, much easier to do without frets. When you have frets, it's pretty hard to get in between the notes. So and, he's like the first Peter Frampton. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I didn't even think of that. And um, that was thought to be pretty evil to mimic animals with your instrument. Um, there was so many. How base. How uh, ghastly. How ghastly. Yes, exactly. And, you know, there was a lot of documented reviews at this time. We're already, you know, well into that, that era. And most people were quick to judge. And then every time they saw him, they came back saying, wow, this guy really is the real deal. But I'm still worried about him. He's still the devil. You know, they never let it go. and. Um, he still, he managed to, he managed to get around and really not get, he never got jailed or anything for doing what he was doing. But, um, there were apparently crazed fans at these things, like a Beatles concert, you know, screaming to the point where you can't hear the music anymore. And, um, there's no audio recording of this, obviously, but I thought it was, I thought it was pretty interesting, you know, that this is a rock star pretty much who, again, simple, nothing complicated on the note front. But technical prowess is very impressive, especially to non-musicians. But his technique um, and tone were so flawless that even the critical musicians were loving what he was doing. 
even if they had to pay double for the ticket price, you know, that kind of thing. And um, maybe this is when the word virtuoso took on its new meaning, its current meaning, because this is a good, good stuff from Dylan's fourth book, Spirit Mm -hmm. World, the God's Acre for Winds of the Soul. But he points out a lot of words that used to mean something different than what they mean now. Right. Virtuoso comes from the Latin virtus, which ver has to do with like a root meaning true. Right. Or or correct. But virtus or virtue was like a word pertaining to basically manliness, courage, Interesting. <laughs> high, high degree of character, war, maybe even like warlike courage as in, you know, you do what you got to do. But right. then eventually it got shifted to mean somebody who was a skilled craftsman or artist with no measure of their character involved in it at all. Wow. And, you know, <laughs> that, what, wow. Are, yeah. what are the character of our virtuosos that are modern rock stars? Most of them are quite ill repute in terms of their virtues. <laughs> Definitely. And potentially characterless overall until they finally release their book 30 years later. Um, and you know, that's, that's very interesting. So, so there is another one that was like this. And by the way, in the music spectrum of knowledge, this is called the traveling virtuosos because whether there were tons of virtuosos before this, but none of them left their you know general areas and they were lucky to make money as a composer. Um, especially cause you know, that nowadays that's a death trap to call yourself a composer. If you don't get into Hollywood, you know, you're not going to really get anything crazy going, but there's another guy named Franz Liszt, who again, some of your listeners might be familiar with. And he was another traveling virtuoso. He traveled Europe. It wasn't long after him. It wasn't long after Paganini, but there's some interesting parallels with him and more of our modern, um, you know, rock stars. Well, first of all, he was on piano instead of violin. His his opportunity to use more notes and more interesting, complex harmonies, which are chords, it was there. He had it all. You know, he had the blazing technical ability. Plus, he was writing interesting, very intricate and difficult music. And his father, um, who was in service for Nicholas II, a Prince Esterhazy, the Esterhazy family was a really big deal back then. And um, it's no surprise that he was, you know, it was it was there. He pushed his son just like Mozart's dad, just like Michael Jackson's dad. And just like Michael Jackson, fans were apparently clamoring for this guy's white gloves, which I thought very, it was very, very interesting to me. Um, he didn't use the allure of some, you know, Miss The touchless death, the, the Mickey touchless. Mouse glove. Oh, you're so right, man. It is the Mickey Mouse glove. It is. Yeah, that's def- that is a Masonic thing in terms of symbolism. Right. You're a hundred percent right, man. Um, and you know, that's, I wrote a bunch that that's plenty, but he, um, was accepted into several different lodges and, uh, Paganini, I, I, I failed to mention he received in 1827 from Pope Leo the 12th, the order of the golden spur, which is something that Mozart also received. And Mozart is known and it's, it's well documented that he wrote with Masonic things in mind. He wrote songs that had three flats in the key. As in, you know, the three and, and a bunch of other things like that. It's, it's relatively undeniable. It's, it's documented that they were Freemasons. It's not like this is hidden information, but it's interesting how the ones that were well documented this way achieved such fame in a different light that this had never really happened before, you know? So in terms of actual masonry being construction of temples and edifices that are also alchemically allegorical to sky clock and other things like they call architecture frozen music. So for the superstar rock star composers to be Masons, 
it actually, you know, those two things go bizarrely hand in hand, architecture and music, more than would be evident to somebody just taking a surface glance at it. You're absolutely right about that. It's incredible, man. This is why I couldn't wait to talk about this stuff, really. It's it's a big deal, man. And so, you know, there might be other things to mention here, but I think we should get to the bottom of this little list here, because if we if we have an extra few minutes, do we? Yeah, yeah. Keep it going, dude. If you can okay. have a longer time Definitely. slot, we'll be, was on the calendar. We'll be thanking my wife for that because she's definitely watching the babies right now, and I appreciate it. Yeah, she's, I'll try. Uh, I'll try to quit. No, no, I'm in. Don't worry. This is time I have very well set aside. She's super excited about this. Trust me. And yeah, um, thank you, just, Nikki. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, she's incredible, man. So, um, there's uh, something to mention about what is called the Guidonian hand. And uh, Guido of Arezzo had made this idea where the notes appear on the hand and you can study and, and keep your ideas, you know, musical ideas in check with your hand. Much like I'm sure, you know, you can do the same thing with the Zodiac. So that's the first correlation I want to make between the music and the Zodiac, the music wheel and the Zodiac. If, if people look, go to that 440 Hertz episode on your show, Third Eye Edify, they'll be able to see these different ways of notating musical theory on the hand, which I think is fascinating because back to that uh, the word char, which is related to core or cord, right. which means hand in Greek, you know? Yes, it certainly does. Absolutely. I am Greek actually. So that, that's, that's a definite. And, um, that it, uh, that, that was the first thing that made me, I, I thought, you know, when I was looking back, I said, there was a Zodiac. The first thing I thought of it wasn't, it was the Guidonian hand. But I, it's the first thing I thought is like, oh man, that's actually, it correlates quite well. The diagrams I've seen of these, a hand, it doesn't match the wheel like I would like to discuss uh, right after this. So I didn't find it to be as compelling. I didn't necessarily care as much, but um, you know, we had just glanced over the idea of the sun and the triads. And uh, there's something very intriguing to bring up about that. And I hope that th this will help us do that. Um, I do have an image, but we don't have to necessarily share anything. I think this discussion will, will clear things up pretty well. Um, the musical Zodiac. If you look at the 12 signs and you look at the 12 notes of music, there are some unreal correlations. Do you have an image? I'm down to screen share it. I it's have not too hard. Yes. Yes. No, no problem at all. You should be able oh, to figure sure. out how to do I that. No, I see it. Your... Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Thank you. I can just, yeah, share, so... I can just share screen. There's no uh, window, right? Yeah, let me see. So people just listening to the RSS feed might be a good time to hop on over to YouTube or my Rockfin or Odyssey so that you can see I this agree image. With that. Oh, I definitely agree with that. Uh, let me see if this works. Mm, open system preferences. <laughs> I, um, so, so what I'm going to show here is that um, when we have, when we compare, let, let's at least say this first, cause I want to make sure I get this out of the way before I forget is that when we study music, A is not the primary note that we use. We use the letter C as what we call the Bible key because the letter C, when you used as a musical scale, seven notes until the octave, we don't get any sharps or flats, which are the black keys on the piano. We get all white keys only with the scale of C major. So C in the world of music is really the fourth letter. If you go from A, A, A sharp, B, C. When we look at the wheel of the Zodiac, where do we start? We start 
Aries. And if, you know, we consider Capricorn starting the year, doesn't start in January, but it starts the year, right? We can agree with this. The fourth sign is technically Aries. We already have that correlation. So I adjusted the wheel to, you know, have C at the top. And you'll see that now we can associate one of the signs with one of each of the 12 musical pitches. You know, another fascinating thing that you could add yeah. into the mix is in terms of the letter C. Right. What signs in the Zodiac begin with the letter C? Cancer and Capricorn, which are said to be the, the gate that you come in through and the gate that you leave through. So like alpha and omega points. So more C at the gate <laughs> again. That is very interesting. Ah, uh, you know what? I can't. I would have to quit. It says so. Let's just okay. No problem. Worry about it. I'll, maybe I'll do it between in case I want to put something later. Um, it's I'm still on the screen, right? I didn't I didn't end up sharing. Yeah, we're still here. Uh, okay, okay. <laughs> Sorry about that, guys. Um, so what I found through this, the first thing I thought to myself is I'm going to take musical chords. I'm going to take triads sets of three notes and i'm going to see what comes up you know zodiacally see what comes up as far as the zodiac do i get correlations the major and the minor triads which are the most commonly used you know by 95 percent of most chords are major and minor in music and the other two being as we discussed earlier diminished and augmented what i found here is that when we look at these sets, and I'll, I'll make sure I'm very perfect about it here. Don't mind me turning pages. When we look at these sets, the main groups are as fixed, fire, water, air, earth. These combinations of three, because there's three of each, they turn into augmented triads, musically speaking. So, for example, C is Aries. The letter E is Leo. And the letter G sharp is Sagittarius. This is the cardinal, the fixed, and the mutable fire signs. They spell out an augmented triad, musically speaking, just because I adjusted the wheel a certain way. Can just you do that on bass as you tell us about these triads? Um, is that I too think, much to I ask? think I could. No, it's not. Too much. <laughs> <laughs> so look, um, no one's played bass before on a show with all right. bass. Oh, no, man. It's, uh, well, it's really I, a treat. As I, a bass player myself. All right, man. Beautiful, beautiful. I'm I'm also playing up here because playing chords in a, the lower bass range, the lower the pitch, the more of what's perceived dissonance that occurs between the notes. It gets much muddier, right? And that's why, especially when you're first learning piano, your your left pinky essentially is the bass player. You play the one note and then you play the chord up top with the right hand, nice and clean. It it gives you the space, the distance um, of the notes, you know. So here is C augmented as i said c e g sharp this so is that's what your fire signs basically fire signs exactly so now if we go to a we get the cardinal fixed mutable water capricorn taurus virgo and that is a c sharp and f again augmented um i often call it like the mystery chord or like the um like in kids shows like i found a clue I, I, I often hear it that way. You know what I'm saying? Because I, I, it just if you just leave that one chord out, there's a sense that there's progression, like something has to happen. It doesn't sound final. And that's a good way to use. It's a good technique, actually, you know, for writing uh, music for shows. So now uh, Cardinal Fixed Mutable Air, Libra Aquarius Gemini, F sharp, A sharp, D. 
let's go from here. Again, you're here in the augmented triads. And then uh, Cardinal Fix Mutable Earth, Cancer, Scorpio, Pisces. E flat. Oh, uh, you mean, sorry, that's Capricorn, Taurus, and Virgo. Oh, yeah. Did I write them wrong? I'm sorry. No problem. Yeah. Oh, I was looking at Earth, not water. I'm sorry. Did I, did I, did I crisscross them? Yeah, no, but everyone knows sorry. what you mean. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no yeah, yeah I'm, I'm reading it like I'm like at an angle reading here. Um, and that's this one. So, you know, you can play these anywhere. They just they sound the way they sound. You can hear that it's again, it's recognizable, but it's not what you're you're not commonly hearing songs played like this. And there's a reason for that. In an hour or two, we'll be discussing how commonly used major chords are used in a progression and how that has been completely taken away from us almost completely in rock music and other forms of music, by the way. So now when I went to the other side, I said, what about squared? What happens with signs that don't technically agree with each other? What do I get? And I got diminished triads, which have a much more dark and foreboding sound. So for example, if I have Aries, Capricorn and cancer are going to square. So that would sound like this. That frets a little buzzy, sorry. And you can hear that, again, it's a little more, it still has a bit of a mystery, but it's a bit of a darker sound. So all of the, you know, now we're going to have a, a bunch of different chords, but they're all going to sound like that. So I, the first thing that I said to myself is, is this just a coincidence, right? There's 12 of each of these things. So there's going to be some kind of correlation. But for them to work so powerfully and so perfectly with chords that are already predetermined in music and the two chords that are the far less used ones, right? This makes me again think of inversion, where just like with oriental melodies, major and minor were flip-flopped. Minor was used for happy stuff and major was used for serious stuff. Uh, augmented diminished don't really exist in this land that we're talking about. But now with chords and these main groups of, um, of astrological symbols, we're getting the least used chords and they're all lining up 100% perfectly. And somebody who's a musician who's never seen any of this astrology stuff, what Carl Sagan calls pseudoscience, you can actually memorize these things faster if you know your chords, which is pretty cool. Just a side note, of course. But, um, this is the tip of the iceberg here. As far as this, what we're gonna, what we're gonna get to in the next hour, the wheel of the year, as far as how, how many days it takes for a year and other things relate to musical problems that we have with equal temperament and other kinds of temperament. Remember, temperament is how we divide all of the notes in our scales. And how equal temperament, the main goal is that every one of the 12 notes can each have their own perfectly sounding song. With a lot of the other temperaments, it doesn't work that way. Like I said, with the sitar, it plays primarily to C. You can't really play F sharp, which would actually be the opposing side of the wheel. It would be Aries to Libra, let's say. You can't play Libra on an Aries instrument. Okay, does that make sense, actually? <laughs> yeah is that going to be a problem for me because i have a, no, and aries, I'm just, you know, an aries sun and libra moon well uh, <laughs> Am I playing well, libra on an aries instrument here <laughs> you're allowed man you're allowed um i i'm an aries and nicole is a libra so nice that's a good complimentary 
it, right it's, there. It's a beautiful thing. I was wondering too about in terms of zodiacal triads and chords, right. like are the, are the, uh, what's the word? All Tritone? of a sudden it just, it just totally flew out of my head. But, uh, what is it called when they're complementary to each other? The angle of a trine, trine triads. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, na- name, name one and I'll see if I can, I'll see what it sounds like. Gosh. So I guess a trine would be when they're like 30 degrees away from each other. So, right. uh, Maybe that would be, no, is it 30 or 60, 45 degrees, I think would be the trying, right? Yeah. 45 degrees. So maybe that doesn't quite compute to, uh, I think that what would happen there is we would get, we would get a, it would be like a major triad or a minor triad, I think. Um, can you name astrologers are just screaming at me right now? Yeah, no, it's, it's okay. It's okay. It's well, let me ask you. 20 degrees. <laughs> trying. I just looked it up. Oh, it's 120. Okay. Okay. 120 so, degrees. So that would mean like they're four away from each other, like one, two, okay. three, and then the next one. So, so like uh, Aries, Cancer, uh, Scorpio. Let's try that. Is that right? Aries, <laughs> yeah, Aries, so. Cancer, Scorpio. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to look up a, a Zodiac, CD Zodiac flag. wheel. Right. Okay, good, good. Aries Cancer Scorpio sounds minor. Whoops, I'm taking my volume off, sorry. This would be Aries Cancer Scorpio. So you're getting stable chords with trine. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. Um, cool. So okay. that, I didn't even go that way. That's great. That's great. So, so there, actually, there I is think, a way. Let's do, I think that's not a, exactly 120 degrees okay. now okay. that I'm looking Wait. at the wheel. So let's do Aries. Actually, no. Now the okay, the trines are we already did these. That would be the uh when you're playing cardinal fixed cardinal, immutable okay. of the same element, those are all in a trine together. So we already so, did that. Okay, so Aries Leo Sagittarius. Is that right? Yeah, we already yeah, we already covered but, that apparently. <laughs> that, that I think that maybe an image of it actually sparked me to be like, all right, let me let me see what that sounds like. And like, oh, it's a it's an augmented triad. Look at that. And um who you know, again, is it even surprising? I I maybe it isn't. Maybe it isn't surprising. So if you have an extra few minutes, I think we can finish out our little thing here. Yeah, because, let's finish, um, finish yeah, okay, strong okay. on the first hour and right. a half. You're welcome, everyone. Big <laughs> thanks to George. Oh, man. You guys are, I love your audience. I love everything about this show and everything you do, man. Huge respect, dude. Really. Thank Gr- you. Grateful to have you as a friend, and I wouldn't if I didn't do the show. So, like, <laughs> that's very happy true. about that. Yeah, man. It's very true. Um, so, the reason that we use current equipment, like I said, is that every one of what the was 12... That? There was another little cut there. I'm sorry about that, my friend. Um, the reason we use equal temperament and the reason they've given it to us, much like, again, they've given us the English language, I think, is that every one of the 12 notes can play its own key. It can be its own tonal center functionally without sounding weird. What that requires is that you take away, and this is something we'll, I'll show you, uh, you know, show you guys in the next hour is that the overtone series of a note designates what all the other notes are supposed to be compared to the tonal center. When you change your tonal center, all the notes are actually supposed to change mathematically. For example, if you're playing in C, the note G sharp compared to C is supposed to be a certain proportion when C is the tonal center. If I'm playing from E as the tonal center, it's supposed to be a different G sharp with equal temperament. They're all the same. So they all work well, but not great. And this is not how it used to be. So when you um, add up fifths, 
fifths being, and I, maybe I'll play a fifth just to make sure we can hear that. When you play just a fifth, it's a very empty thing. We've heard this sound before. It works. There's nothing wrong with it. It's very consonant. It's not very disruptive whatsoever. But it doesn't. Is that like what you call a power chord? Yeah, it's exactly. When you use a power chord, you are not defining any triad because you only get, and in a triad, we have a root. If you're in C major chord, C is the root. When you have a triad, you have root, third, fifth. Third is a huge thing that we will discuss again in hour two because uh, the third, you know, rising on the third day, all that stuff, it's a big deal. So when you play only the root and the fifth, you leave the third out. It's a very secular thing to do. And it's also deprives the chord of its actual definition. That oh my fifth, God, this is transhumanism. Uh, yes. This is body and mind oh with no spirit. Oh my God. This is the roboticized man. They've been doing it with rock music. It's just that it's two instead of three. <sighs> yeah, that's right. And then, and again, I have a lot to discuss as far as that next uh, hour. That's a part of it. That's a big part of it. Take away the third, play all your songs that way. It's gone. All the meaning is gone. The, the, the idea of tension, the idea of dissonance disappears. That was the least dissonant thing I played today, except for that unfinished scale, I think. And, Which is um, exactly what the roboticized transhuman agenda is, you know, no dissonance, you're right. no, you're right. no tension, yeah. just follow your orders. Right. Isn't, isn't life great now that you have nothing and you're, you're happy, obviously, right? Like they say. <laughs> um, so when we typically look at music, we look at what's called the, the circle of fifths. Every fifth note is the next one in the, in the wheel. I used the, the, the wheel with the Zodiac where each one is successive. But when you take the exact true proportion of what's called the pure fifth, two thirds of the initial note, and you take all of them around to get back home, it actually goes a little bit past 360. And it goes to 365. Check this out. It goes to, sorry. 365. I just heard Gabriel's head explode and his brain splatter across the wall somewhere out there. I know he's, I, I hope he listens. I do. Cause he, he'd be the man to find even more here. Um, if you take perfect fifths and meet yourself back at the original starting point, you get 365.04 and the days in a year is 365.24. So I always wondered why isn't it a perfect 360 circle for the year? What are, what are they trying to do to us? What are they giving us? What is this daylight savings thing? Is it possible? Is there now a correlation between the music that we're supposed to have versus what we're given and the amount of actual time that transpires in one year versus what our clocks and our Google map and our Google you know time tells us? I think that there's some stunning correlation there, man. So you're saying this is the organic. Like yes, this is the organic this is what nature naturally of- is supposed to happen. Okay. If you take a pure fifth. Uh, which Pythagoras discovered when he heard somebody banging on, you know, his anvil, a blacksmith. He noticed that when the bar or whatever they were hitting was twice as big, that the uh, the tone would go down an octave. If it was two thirds, it would go up a fifth. So those intervals, he heard them. So they say. And um, but when you start studying the overtone series, which we will dive into next uh, hour, is it's already there. The note already tells you what it wants in relation to itself. So this is the naturally occurring circle of, of music. Yes. Man. So even that Pythagoras story is so riddled with occult symbolism, <laughs> you know, that, that never, that's, that never happened. You know, there was no Pythagoras there. I doubt it, man. But when he, you know, we're talking about a blacksmith 
this is a craftsman or a demiurgos in Greek. You know, that's right. your Vulcan archetype, and he's smacking on a bar. Right, right. What is a bar? <laughs> ah, <laughs> look into the meaning of the word bar. It can mean you know. There's a lot there. Uh, Good, and and measures of music are often called bars. As a matter of fact, eight bars. You know, there it is. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. There's even, according to Dylan, even the word carpenter comes from before that bar panther. Who mm. that was? Uh, Jesus was bar panther, which means wow. son of panther. But that's a whole nother story. Okay. Very okay. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and you know, bar is an anagram for bra, as in Brahmin. There's oh. so much in the word bar. Too. Yeah, you're right. Everything about musical language is exactly the mosaic system, uh, so. which is further back the doctrine of emanations from the East. It's Buddhism, it's Hinduism, and at its root, it is. Uh, <laughs> at least the version that we've been handed. Maybe there's a more pure version before it. Right. We are being given this entire artificial feeling language construct reality through which we are made to feel like we are slaves all the time, put into a master slave mentality at all times, even in many most people's religious beliefs led to think that the world is a prison or a punishment and is bad or evil innately. And that, you know, it's all about what you can get to next or the next world completely taking us out of the moment, out of the beautiful perfection of nature. I'm really glad that you're exploring these ideas <laughs> because you're sure. demonstrating that it's the exact same grabbler system that we've been handed. That is just like everything else. We've got to abrogate the mosaic law out of our way of comprehending music as well, which is so innate to the fractal itself. It could very well end up being the key to the rest of it. Pun intended. Right. <laughs> That's beautiful, man. And I agree big time. Absolutely. All right, George, where can they find you? Remind them all of all the th- stuff that you're up to and like what you're excited about coming up next on your on your platforms Absolutely. and how they can contact you if they want to, you know, all of the above. Give all the good plugs. Thank you. Thank you. I'm on YouTube and I'm on Patreon. I'm going to be on BitChute and Odyssey very soon. Third Eye Edify podcast. And of course, you know, I'm on Facebook too, but that's just there as a tool. It doesn't necessarily have to explode. I doubt it will. I already have 2000 friends on there. I don't think it's really making any impact on my uh, viewership, you know, and um, my uh, email is erpminded at yahoo.com, E-R-P-M-I-N-D-E-D at yahoo.com. You can contact me anytime for anything. And um, I also still teach, by the way, music, theory, lessons, and um, I'm kind of, this has nothing to do with the episode, but I'm working on a little musical archetypes idea where, again, teaching without music, almost without words. If I can teach, oh, that's this archetype, you'll know exactly how to play in a song, especially as a bass player in uh, rock music, especially. But um, in jazz too, by the way. So I think that's about it. But the most exciting thing I have coming up is that I've been doing a lot of looking at Francis Bacon, Shakespeare, um, uh, King James, as in the King James uh, version of the Bible, who wrote that book, Demonology, right before the King James version came out. I think it's extremely intriguing. I'm looking and into Malleus Maleficarum, the, too, the of, Hammer of Witches. Of course, of course. I I can actually see the spine of that book in the distance over here. And, um, and several other things that came out around that time that were showing that people weren't necessarily on board with the idea. And um, I hope to have a little bit of that 
coming at the end of October, just in time for that season that is so horribly misinterpreted. <laughs> Hopefully I can find a really, really good special um, end of October episode. I think that's going to happen for sure. And um, other than that, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. And uh, as I find things, I, I, I put them on camera and I, I did at least one episode a week. I think this will be coming out in October itself. So, you know, interesting how we may be hitting a new octave of our understanding of music and ascending through this conversation, I think. And we're going to have yeah. such a good time in the second hour, man. I can't wait. Uh, thank you so much for being here. And thanks for being a bud. Can't wait to jump into hour two and for the extra time that you did for everybody here in the first hour to get through all the notes. That is majorly appreciated as well. I know we'll do this again. So everyone check out George Third Eye Edify. Thanks again, everybody, for tuning in. Join us on the other side for the second hour. If it's just an hour, we'll see. We'll do our best. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Did you like that one? I know for me, there were some firsts included in this conversation. Like nobody's ever played the bass during an interview before or maybe any instrument for that matter. Maybe I've had somebody play guitar before. I don't know, like an acoustic guitar, but definitely not the bass. <laughs> it's gotten to the point where I've done so many of these. I don't even know if someone's played a song before live, but probably uh, anyway. George is an incredible guy. I'm so glad that we got the chance to be friends. And there's kind of like, for some reason, there's a story I want to tell um, about how he and I got connected. And maybe I will. But first, I want to remind everybody that you can go check out George's pretty new podcast, Third Eye Edify, on YouTube. And he said by the time this comes out, he'll be rocking on Odyssey and bit shoot. So if YouTube isn't your flavor, by the way, YouTube, thank you so much for getting me to 5,000 subscribers. I'm not talking to YouTube, the company, but people who access the show through YouTube. Awesome. I appreciate everybody that shows up to the live streams that I do and checks out episode premieres, contributes to the live chat conversation. You guys know who you are. And honestly, you feel like the core audience to the podcast because I don't get that same level of interaction with people that are listening to the RSS audio feed, but you know, I love you people too. 
So thank you, any and all supporters of all flavors. Appreciate you so much. And I hope that this episode was a mind blower. Like my goal as a host is to create the type of a show that I would want to hear. And this is definitely one of those. Like I would be like, oh, there's a bass guitar. There's we're talking the occult aspect of music. Musical theory is something that I'm not super strong at anyway in terms of knowledge. So I have a lot to learn. And this is exactly the guy to do it. So big thanks to George. I'm so glad that he started his own show. I hope you go support his work as well. There's an episode called 440 Hertz on his third eye edify channel that is kind of like a precursor or a supplemental episode to this conversation. So maybe check that out if you want to know where to start. (laughs) How funny is it that we're talking about musical scales during Libra season? Yeah. (laughs) Libra season scales. You get it. Uh, Right. So, well, I guess I should tell you about what's in the extension to this episode before I get into talking about anything else. The plus extension was big. I believe that we definitely got to like two hours and 30 minutes, (laughs) maybe longer. I don't know. It's huge. It's huge. And that's been two in a row that have been like that. And this episode really pairs nicely with the Juan and Romy episode on Pythagorean palaces. So anyway, if you want to get the extension, which is a big one, you can find that on Rockfin or Patreon. You probably know. But you can find links to that in the show notes. Patreon, five bucks a month, you get everything I've ever put into premium category of content. Rockfin, you get for $10 a month, everybody that's on the Rockfin network. So they're both a good deal for different reasons. I do kind of like the Patreon because you get a uh, RSS feed link to put it into your podcast playing app of choice. Might make it a little easier to access some of the archives, right? The Rockfin app works well too, but it's not, you know, It's not one of those flagship Apple iTunes podcast apps that are basically flawless, right? Anyway, one or the other, you can get the extension, Rockfin, Patreon, what have you. And in this extension, we talked about fractals, harmonics, and overtone series of fundamental pitch. Talked about uh, rock music and George's theory of inverted harmony. Then we got into like the chaos and order of the devolution of modern musical structures, (laughs) electronic music, drugs, and frequency warfare. That's something I've talked about before. Then we discussed the cosmic octave and the frequencies of various planets, how those might be derived. Solfeggio, the, uh, the G note, musical notation, how that relates to the sun and the moon. Very interesting. And then George gave us some talk, some uh, explanation of his success as a music teacher without written music, without teaching written music. And then he gave us some information about his theory of musical archetypes. So all that and a lot more in the plus extension. Basically, if you like his vibe and you like the conversation, you're going to want to go ahead and spring for the full thing, right? <laughs> Very worth it. Uh, so Another fascinating thing to keep in mind is like, where does this idea of 432 come from? And why is that the standard for Verde tuning? Why is it considered green tuning? And I think, you know, I got to thinking about this in a different way from reading Dylan Sicosio's Spirit World book, uh, book four, A God's Acre for Winds of the Soul. And so like, here's one little quote, but 72 times six is 432. So. What is 72? 
72 is three days, right? 24 hours times three. 72. <laughs> uh, what else has it got going on? Well, 432 comes from dividing the great zodiacal or processional year, as in like, you know, all of the procession of the equinox going full circle, 25,920. If you divide that by 60, you get 432. So 432 is kind of a base of some of the great Indian cycles of time. So that's a possible or origin for the importance of it. It is also 432 is connected to that sacred number 108. And the 108 is a mystical number for many reasons. But one reason in particular is how it relates to the phi ratio. The phi ratio, essentially, if you add together all the numbers in the phi sequence uh, for 24 numbers, May I need to back this up? Okay, so the phi sequence, we all know what that is, right? Or the Fibonacci maybe is a better way of putting it. The Fibonacci sequence of numbers, which is like you add uh, each number to the number that came before it to get the next number. So like zero plus one is one. One plus two is three. You know, three plus two is five. Five plus three is eight. And so on down the line. Well, if you do that for 24 numbers, I believe... The first, I could be getting this wrong. I learned this a long time ago from Marty Leeds' book about pie, uh, but not pie that you eat, but pie that is mathematical, transcendental. And anyway, if you do this for 24 digits and you add, you also have to reduce the, the numbers down. So like when you get into the higher numbers, like say a 16 or something, you got to reduce that to a seven, a seven, right? But when you do that, not only is there a 369 that shows up uh, as a pattern in there, but there's also every 24 numbers, if you add all of those up, it will always be 108. <laughs> so like you do a cycle of 24 numbers of the Fibonacci sequence, add that together, 108. And then the next 24, 108. And it just goes on like that forever. I think maybe the very first time in the cycle, it's like 117. And then every time after that, it's 108. But in a way, 117 is kind of related to 108 because if you moved the one of the 17 over to the eight and or over to the seven and you added them together, you'd have 108 again. You catch my drift. Anyway, 108 times four is 432. 432 divided by eight is 27. 27 is a, a very mystical number. And it relates to like the Mercury figure, the Jesus or the Christ or the Odin, et cetera. So 432 is pretty cool. There's a lot of reasons why that's a mystical number. But I think ultimately it's driving back to the way that the ancient priesthoods would take their knowledge of cycles and the sky clock and try to apply the numbers that are part of that pattern to other things as a way to create resonance with nature in a way so makes perfect sense that 432 is a good tuning for music but george gave some good disputes about 432 not completely disputes but how it's also a construct and i i kind of wish i'd had these thoughts in that conversation but it's okay it was a long talk anyway and <laughs> i didn't need to add to it for like time so it's it's cool to put it in the outro but uh yeah, well, I think that that's all I wanted to talk about. It's already a long episode, so maybe I should wrap it up. Really excited to be going to Music and Sky Festival. I will be departing 
next week, which means after the vibrant coming after this episode, uh, there might not be, <clears throat> there might not be an interverse episode for a little bit, like a week. But when I get back, I'll come back strong and I'll be super recharged and refreshed. And there's a lot of positive life changes happening for me right now. In you know, on top of this big fun trip to California for music and sky. So I hope you guys that are going are ready for a good time. Hope to see you there. I mean, if you're going, I will see you there. It's not big enough that we'd miss each other. So that's exciting. And uh, yeah, just hope you're all so crushing life out there. Hope you're all as stoked on it as I am and enjoying this, <laughs> you know, Libra season, which is to me a really fun time. The fall. Are you falling in love? Because I think that's a part of the the natural cycle at this time. And yeah, um, I think that's all I want to say. Oh, yeah, let's get let's get you on the calendar for a tuning, right? You're gonna want to do that. <laughs> let's get it going. A tune up, chance at interversepodcast.com. We will do some sound balancing for your aura. It will be amazing. It always is. Or you can do Oracle card session with me, tarot eaching session. Great way to get some counseling from your inner voice and get a stronger connection to your superpowers and whatever transitions life is trying to get you to focus on right now. Chance to the interversepodcast.com. Hit me up, get on the schedule so that I can have you on there for as soon as possible when I get back from the big trip, right? Yeah, get in there now while the getting's good. And, uh, the aforementioned Spirit World book. You should for sure check out my audiobook rendition of Spirit World July's End. Or other ways to support the show, you can get some Clive DeCarl supplements. And by supplements, I mean more like nutrition that is very essential, like magnesium and vitamin C. You can get a George Wiseman AquaCure machine using my coupon code for a discount. That's also pretty amazing. Thank you to everyone that's done that. Because I get some commission for that and it's very helpful to keep me going. <laughs> you guys, literally, you guys are what support me to do this show. I have my only income source besides that is audiobooks. And that's not very big yet. I mean, it'll grow. But my only real income source is supporters of the podcast and people who get one-on-one -on -one sessions with me who I consider also supporters of the podcast. Because that's probably the only way you ever found out about it, right? Uh, so I'm going to play. Oh, <laughs> I did say I was going to tell the story of how I got in touch with George. All right. So <laughs> I guess I will. A long time ago, before he was on the show the first time, I had heard Crow of Crow 777 mention that he wanted to do a conversation about like some occult aspects of gaming, the gaming industry, video games. And so I shot like uh, some notes over to them, pretty dense notes, maybe too much, and didn't hear back. And I was kind of miffed because they had somebody else on to do that conversation. It turned out that somebody else was George. And if they hadn't had him on, I would have never found out about him. So I invited him on my show and we had the conversation I wanted to have about gaming. And you can find that in my archives, the other George Mesa episode. I say Mesa, it's Mesa. <laughs> my bad. I messed that up. <laughs> and anyway, that's just like, that's a little story about how even when something doesn't work out the way you thought you wanted it to, it could wind up being that way because something better is in store. And if George and I hadn't become friends, this incredible, legendary episode for the ages here about musical theory would have never happened. So all thanks 
to the most high. I appreciate when my, you know, intentions and wishes come true. And I appreciate when they don't come true, but something that was actually better for me happens anyway. And I believe that that's always how it works. So y'all keep crushing out there. I love you all. I'm going to play us out with a Mozart 432 remix. (laughs) It's like Mozart turned into electronic music. It kind of has a feel of like old school Final Fantasy video game music. And I found this on YouTube and then I just converted it to 432 because why not? There's a website where you can upload tracks and convert them to 432. So why not? I might start doing that for everything. Just never put not 432 music in the show. But I hope you guys enjoyed it. Hope you enjoyed this outro. Hope you go check out George at Third Eye Edify. I hope everything's amazing for you like it is for me. And I love you so much. Thanks for tuning in. And I'll catch you on the next one. One vibrant to go. And then we will be off from music and sky. And we'll be back stronger than ever. So much love, much love. Bye-bye.